Darkly, what a bad that effort. Leipzig comes through. He's got another one. Just add it to the reel. Liba. Welcome to the Salty Bulldog, the podcast that was disappointed in seeing Aaron Norton play at the weekend without sleeves. My name is Matthew Donald and I have Nick Galea with me as I do every other week. And if you're as incensed as I am about the fact that Aaron Norton wasn't wearing sleeves, be sure to subscribe to our podcast, which you'll be able to find by searching in the Salty Bulldog wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check out our social media pages at Twitter, at the Salty Bulldog, on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, Instagram instagram.salty.bulldog, and our website as well, www.thesaltybulldog.wixsite.com forward slash home. Nick, when you saw Aaron Norton running out there without sleeves, what was going through your head? Amusement and bewilderment at the same time. Now, it was it was a nice touch. Of course, we're talking about the, um, the previous game against the Cats, though, and it did look nice. I must say that for sure. You know, seeing it, even you know, for us two key forwards having you know the long sleeves and Bruce and Norton, and it's been a long time since we've seen that. We've only been exposed to it with the in the form of Lewis Young, haven't we? We we have for for the, for the most part. Now we're gonna. Um, we're going to because apparently there was a there was a football match that took place at the weekend and the don't worry bulldogs fans we're definitely going to talk about that for at least a little bit but i just need you to indulge me here nick just on a, on a little endeavor because we're just going to jump around for a bit so all then we loved that aaron norton and, and bruce were wearing sleeves the hooped sleeves last week against geelong down at the down at the cattery absolutely fantastic loved it it was it was the best part of the game by a mile um you wouldn't even know there was a football match going on and then I saw some clips, or some not clips, but some photos of the uh, VFL team in action at the weekend. So this is just against Coburg. You were there. and Indeed, I was. And I, I have reason to believe that a couple of them were listening to my pleas for players to wear sleeves. So mm, I sort of, a couple I saw, of, not even just then, even during the game itself, yeah. where they alternated their, their Guernseys at halftime, some of them. Did they really? Yeah, some of them did, which is very, very interesting. So, well, yes, when I, I went up with Brad um, on the Saturday up to yep. Highgate Reserve, they, except we played at the Calder Cannons um, ground next door, that was uh, the old Rams Arena, apparently. Not a bad, not a bad little ground, actually. Quite I, nice. I, I, will, I will get you to talk more about the, the, the VFL in a moment, but I saw some players who I think have been listening to me. One of them, it's got a couple of them, in fact. Jamara Hagen and Dominic Bedendo, I saw both wearing sleeves i tell you he needs you're gonna hate this but still i tell you Bedendo needs a cape because he can fly that kid oh no i, I, he, I might do, as well. yeah. he might as well seriously i do love Bedendo, but this has given me an idea so we we want to bring back the sleeves we're bringing retro boys we're, 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 doing. we're bringing back the sleeves so what we're going to do with uh, to 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 I guess immortalize these heroes of ours that that wear sleeves. We're going to give them an opportunity to to set their name in in fine print and have them placed on a pedestal for all time. 
go down in folklore pretty much. That's the intention here. What I think the modern day players struggles with is to put themselves among the esteemed bracket of the players of yesteryear. You know, you, th- you go through the you go through the Hall of Fame, the Bulldogs Hall of Fame. There aren't many players from from the modern era. It's really difficult for them to get to to get their name up in lights now in terms of that esteem. So we're going to give the modern players an opportunity. This is a, this is a very special opportunity, and th- this is eligible for players who have o- only for players who have played from two thousand onwards. So we're going to call. To think, this- I've got one performance in my head though. Do you recall in the twenty sixteen? encounter against Port Adelaide, because I'm hoping it's it's in my head though. Do you remember if Bont was wearing sleeves that day? I feel like he was. Not in 2016. He did oh, against which, watch, which year was it? Brisbane in 2019, he wore sleeves in Ballarat. Yeah, that one I remember definitely. That's the one I'm probably confusing. How the hell am I confusing yeah. Port with Brisbane? But yeah, anyway, sure. So this Hall of Fame, this is called the Salty Bulldog Sleeved Hall of Fame or, or SHOF. We'll call it SHOF as well for, for an acronym. So criteria, plain and simple. If you've represented the Western Bulldogs from round one, 2000 up until the present day in sleeves, you're in no questions asked. That's it. You're automatically in. And, and we're going to, we're going to put these guys names right up the top and say, how good are these guys for bringing back the sleeves? And the reason for the, the 2000 onwards one is there's a couple of reasons for it. Firstly, Given this lack of photographic visual evidence of some players from yesteryear, there would be plenty of asterisks and, and disputes over whether some players in years gone by have actually worn sleeves. Secondly, in any case, sleeves were very popular back then anyway. So if we went through every single player that wore sleeves, the list would be bigger than Ben Hur. And thirdly, it's about bringing the sleeves back. Those players back then when they were wearing sleeves, they were, the sleeves were already there. They've gone and now we're bringing them back. So what I've gone and done is I've gone and looked through all the clips that I could find of Bulldog players from 2000 onwards. And I've tried to find players who have worn sleeves at least once. They've only got to wear it once in an AFL match. And if they do, they're in. So this is the list that I've got so far. These are the, this is the esteemed Salty Bulldog Royal. I'm looking forward to some of these names. I'll tell you, this is going to be, it's strange to say this because you know, you and I are we're still pretty much in our youth. We're only, um, we got 25 and I'm turning 25 very soon. So for us, it's a bit of interesting nostalgia, isn't it? It is. So, so these taking are some us, of the... taking us way back to the ages of four and five or whatever the heck it is. Yeah. Even before <laughs> that. So, so, and there, there are some that. names that there are some names that, that we absolutely love. Some old faces, some, some new faces, some on faces, but here's, here we go. So Chris Grant, Brad Johnson, beautiful, Robert Murphy, Lindsay Gilby, Sam Power, Ah, oh, the great man. Sam Power, Nathan Eagleton, Stuart Cramery, Marcus Bontempelli, you said Marcus Bontempelli, Aaron Norton, Josh Bruce, Ed Richards, Jason Johannesson, Marcus Adams, and uh, we've got, and we've got a, and so we've elevated this guy, the last one, we've elevated him to legend status already, uh, Lewis Young. Yes, I because second that notion. He, he not yeah. only has he worn sleeves on multiple occasions, he also wore them on his debut, and he took that big mark at, at the MCG against Carlton in the sleeves on his a, debut. So, so he's that he's was an amazing. So he's God, I turned twenty one that day. Whoa, that's a that's a long time ago. A few now. memories back. So already. Lewis Young is is a, has got legend status in in the Salty Bulldog Sleeve Hall of Fame. All of those other players in because they've worn sleeves in a game beyond two thousand. Now there's some great names in there. There's some great names that aren't in there as well. Now, so players like 
Dunkley and, and Jackson McRae. I mean, I, I would, I would, guys, I would love to put you in this team. I'd love to put you in the Hall of Fame, um, Josh and Josh and Jacko. But I'm, I'm only the following the criteria. Right I'm, 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 I'm only following the, the criteria. So I'm, it's not my fault. It's, it's you guys that are letting us down at the moment. So there's a challenge to players. If you want to get into this illustrious list, I want to see you wearing sleeves. And for anyone who's listening who uh, can think of another name of a, of a player that I may have missed, please do uh, nominate them. And if you've got any any photographic evidence of them wearing sleeves in a, in a, in a post-2000 game, send it through. Do, do, yeah, send it through. Do tweet us or, or put yeah. it on Instagram or such, and we'll, we'll do our best to bring it out there for sure. But And also even more, even players that you wish to have seen that's in, in yesteryear that could have worn them. I wouldn't yep. mind saying that. Any players that we would have liked to have seen wear them. From remember, remember, post 2000s is about giving the modern player an opportunity to make a name for themselves in their very mm. own Hall of Fame. And I just wanted to get that one out of the way because I wasn't sure where else I was going to chuck that one in. So I just wanted to get that out of the way at the start. So there's the Salty Bulldog sleeved Hall of Fame. So it's, it's a nice little group we got started there, but uh, I'm keen to add to it. And I know there's some, I know there's some players that would want to get in that group. And of course, AFL only. So Eugle Hagen and Bedendo both wore sleeves, but in the VFL, so it doesn't count, unfortunately. Not my fault. Imagine, I'm just, imagine I'm just, if I'm they just... make their debuts with the sleeves. Now, oh, that, that'd you're going to lose your mind, aren't that, you? That'd be fantastic. So that, that's that's what we're going with. We're running with this, and anyone who anyone who goes with it from now on will will be sure to make note of it. We'll definitely be making a big deal about additions to the Hall of Fame. But let's but let's move on. Let's talk about. Let's talk about the game that happened on the weekend because this was a massive win, not not just in terms of margin, but in, in terms of the statement that it makes going forward for the rest of the season. So much happening before the game at Optus Stadium between the Western Bulldogs and West Coast. None least of all was the crowd being turned away. Some people having to drive several hours. I think Jeremy, uh, not Jeremy McGovern, Josh Kennedy's family. Kennedy, yes. They yes, mentioned had, three had and a half from, hours or yeah. so. Yeah from Geraldton and, and they would have been in Perth by the time the news came through and had, had to be turned away. Unfortunately, such shame for Kennedy 250th club game for West coast sellout was what I was led to believe. So a massive clash between two, two of the big premiership contenders would have been nice. to. And have- even not just that too, not just that too. Also people still think that our club is based in Western Australia. So you know, to see two WA sites potentially going out, oh, yeah, that would yeah. be even more amazing. Uh, oh, yes, well, yeah, no, our name still confuses other people to this very day. So would have, would have been a full honestly. house west of west of Melbourne, not west of Australia. Yes, Western 13, Derby or Derby or whatever it is. 13, 20, 98 to 6, 7, 43. It in, I think it, it, it ties the ledger at three and three in games where the Bulldogs have played in front of a crowd of zero. The goal kickers Norton with four, three of them in the in the last quarter, ca- cashed in on like he got reward though because he was fantastic all game. He and did good one off, off, of course, too to McLean. Yeah, to, to McLean. Second, so yeah. yeah. But no, ca- cashed in on the hard work, so it was good to see him gets a reward for that. Marcus Bonson Pelly with three goals, the the third including was, a set shot from twenty out. To, uh, yeah, set shot and a snap around the body, just about did it all, and the goal of the year. I'll ask you about that in a minute. Bailey Smith, that's his best game since round one, a pair of goals in the third term. Uh, Toby McLean with that goal before halftime that you mentioned. Cody Waitman, add it to the reel. Jacko, Jackson McRae getting a rare goal. And Riley Garcia with his first AFL level as well. Wasn't that a great moment? They were both pumped up too, weren't they, Riley and Jacko, for this? Well, Jacko's always pumped up when he kicks a goal. That's true. It doesn't kick him often, but he was celebrating. But no, that was lovely from Garcia too. And they even 
went to the review board. They even went to check for the review and it was missing it by about six foot, wasn't it? <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't care. But it was quite clear to see how, how much they love him. Sonny Garcia. Mm. And I oh, very, very was pretty good in his first Very, fit, very pleased to have him. Let's have a look at the players who have won plenty of the ball. And it's no surprise to see Jackson McRae in that, uh, that category again. We've kept tabs on his run during the season. He's now 27 disposals away from breaking into the top 10 all-time leading possession games for the Bulldogs. So he's probably going to do that 10 minutes in the second quarter next week against North Melbourne. Bailey Smith with 31 disposals. Bontempelli with 29. Just missed out on the 30 and 3 combination again. Hunter with 27 and Daniel with 24 were both very good. Coaches votes, Bontempelli with the perfect 10. Uh, Smith with the near-perfect 8. Uh, Norton with a slightly less perfect six, McRae with the even less perfect four, and then Daniel and Dale each getting a vote. So, uh, yeah, Bontepelli with the two fives, Smith with the two fours, Norton the two threes, McRae the two twos, and Daniel and Dale's, uh, Dale rather shared the remaining votes. Puts Bontepelli five Almost unanimous, votes. wasn't it? It was, yeah. No, it's, it's very rare, I reckon, that you get it that even. Mm. It puts Bontepelli five votes clear of the Coaches Association. Uh, 76 votes he's on ahead of Clayton Oliver, 71. Oliver got three. He votes. only got yep, just the three this week. I didn't, didn't get to see the uh, same play against the uh, see against the Bombers this Saturday night. But um, yes, yeah, it's a bit interesting because he's been slowing down, apparently, I'd say, from what I've noticed over the past month or so, but um, can't confirm that. But, you know, it's nice to see the, the rightful king um, take his place on the throne. And I, I suspect another three Brownlow votes. Most is, is, is there any 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 contenders? I think Smith is his main contender this week. Mally Smith, because Smith was very good. But I, yeah, no, that's pretty much it. That's off the yeah. top of my head, so I can say it's just those two for sure. But there were a lot of good players on the weekend, which was which was very pleasing across both uh, both levels of football. But now Bont is a is an exceptionally freakish player to say the least. But um, so what, what did we notice? What did he do in twenty nineteen? He got the Coaches Association Player of the Year. He got our best and fairest All-Australian. So that was his third. This year, he'll lock up his fourth, won't he? You'd have to think so, yeah. The question is, will they decide to play him at, um, you know, as a third tall on the flank or such after kicking 20-plus this year? He's probably capable of getting to 32. Imagine that. This is probably the first time since 2016 he's been genuine goal-kicking midfielder. To an extent. Let me have a look at that, actually. That'd well, he kicked, he kicked 26 right. goals in 2016. This is his second best return. He kicked 22 goals in 2018. Yep. And He's 15 on... and 11 in the two preceding years. Yeah. So, but that, that tw- 2020. That 22 goals is in 19 matches in 2018. He's on 21 now of just 14. He has a career average of, at this point in time, 0.92 goals a game. He's got 119 goal assists. And yeah, he's going at 1.5 this season. So it's interesting. He's very much capable. Man, he can get to 30 goals. You'd have to lock him in for a fair few awards, I think, too. Um, not just as well as the as the Brownlow, but probably also on top of the premiership, I'd have to say, Norm Smith, um, AFL it, coaches, coaches votes. What other, what, other, what other things are there, too? There's a whole bunch of others. Harold all Sun, player of the year. I'm sure we can win that. All-Australian captain. That's, the, that's actually a big character right there, for sure. Imagine that. Well, who 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 would rival him? I mean, Lance Franklin's had a good year. Yeah, I remember what they did. They named him as captain in 2018, and he wasn't even in the club's leadership group. I think. 
<laughs> I don't know what was going on there. See, I, I, think, don't I think it was something always, too similar with Rance as well. I always thought the captain of the All-Australian team had to be captain of, the, of their own club. I thought that was an actual rule rather than just a coincidence. Apparently, it's not. It should be. I think it should be, genuinely. So the only other technical options, if you really wanted to press it, because um, it'll most likely come from a top eight side, you'd suspect. So it'd be Dane Zorko, but he's been a bit reckless this season. Uh, who else? Who's actually captain still of Essendon? Is it still Heppel or they moved it on? I think they're co-captains at Essendon. Or co-captains at Essendon, is it? I think. Oh, no. Oh, dear. My computer is frozen. Now, um, Toby Green, potentially, but he has been suspended as well. No, I would think no. I mean, the only one I could think is Max Gorn. Yeah, that's because the Bulldogs. Much, yeah, the Bulldogs I'm just going to bring him up right then. The Bulldogs and Melbourne have been the two sides that have made significant strides forward this season. Uh, Melbourne going from was it ninth to first at the moment. The Bulldogs seventh to second. It won't be well, most likely. It won't be Shuey. He's missed a fair bit of the fair bit of the season too. Oh, he's, so that was his sec- that was his second game. Just at the that week. was it. Was it really just his yes. second game actually? Yep. So he's missed. What did he do? He missed the first. He might have missed the first. Missed. He might have missed the first month, and he came back for help. a game and and got injured right at the end, and then he was out for a while and has just come back again. I'm going to try to have a look at this. Actually, where is he? So yeah, two games for him, and yeah. his first game since round three. Okay, round three. The, let, let's 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 talk about the Bonza belly goal because that was just extraordinary. Is that is and and I'm going to ask you a really tough question, and I don't think I've ever asked this question to anyone before. Is that the I feel best, so special. Is that Thank the you. best goal Bontempelli has ever kicked? I don't know. I wonder. He's kicked a couple of beauties that we all... We've, we've mentioned like, many goals, like, of course, too. He's kicked a lot of important goals. Feels like every goal... One's from brilliance, yeah. feels like every goal he kicks has something that makes you sort of shake your head in disbelief. Yeah, there's a bit more... Each one seems more magical than the last at yeah. times, you know. So, He's hey. trying to top himself, I think. So of the obvious contenders are the the goal against Melbourne, the, the should have won goal of the year. He should already have a goal of the year in his uh, in his kit bag. That's what he needs. That's what he needs. He needs to take now mark of the year too. We need to add that to the collection reels the at the end of this season. On he, top of the premiership and the captain of the year and all these other accolades too. You, you mentioned Port Adelaide in, in 2016. There was that one where he's paddled the ball from the center, mm. center of the ground up until about 30 out from goal. And he's mm. just picked it up on the left and, and snapped it through. That was, that was a great goal. That there's was a, a couple was a against, goal. there's a couple against Geelong in 2019. In oh yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there'd be another one back in 2014 too. There was also something similar even against Port Adelaide in 2014 as well from the centre square Yeah, uh, to the right of screen. There's a fair few of these. He likes Port Adelaide and Geelong by the looks of it. He does. Clearly. And, oh, and, and he likes West Coast as well. Two winners against Indeed. him in, in the last two games heading into this weekend and then possibly goal year. <laughs> He's picking game. on the interstate teams. They're not going to be pleased. We don't like to count Geelong as a, as a Melbourne-based side or a Victorian anyways. Well, we've spoken... BT, forgot, BT forgot to include them as an actual Victorian club earlier in the week, I think which was bloody hilarious as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I was more interested in the fact that they spent the whole game talking about, you know, when Easton Wood's coming back in. We'll get to, to we'll get to oh, Easton Wood. They forgot that he even got injured. They got, he got notified in the end of it, but he, half the time yeah, he took, know it he took was them, actually injured. It took them until the last three minutes of the match to figure that out. I feel like they were calling the game, you know, 24 hours before it happened. This game though, this, this win against West Coast, I know sometimes I know what you're like. Sometimes you go, oh no, nothing from that after quarter time. No, there's nothing to take away from that game. 
surely there's surely there's a lot you can take away from from this one nick potentially there is it's 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 different though because it depends on how you rate certain sides and well, how, do, how do you rate west coast respectful i rate them as a as a good team i know i still think that of course and i mentioned this um, when we had alex Doherty on that that's game in round two in in my in my choice, that it was the our best win of the season, uh, up up there with the Port Adelaide game. But I'd rate Port, I think, as a better side. I think I mentioned it was either that or the other way around. But in the context of the season, yeah, very it is important because otherwise a loss to them would have had us back in the pack. You know, it would have been three or four teams on forty points, two games behind Melbourne in the race for the McCallum Trophy. You know, we've never won. We never um, had that. No. We never finished top of the ladder before in any of our seasons. So there's a great chance for that to happen, and there really genuinely is now. If you look at the you know, how the draw unfolds, well, the run is um, the run is very favourable, very favourable, yeah. and, and and especially and with, we've earned that. We've earned that. Oh, of course, and and especially with sort of COVID developments and and what may happen with a with a footy frenzy and a potential Melbourne hub, it rules out those. Yeah. It rules out a couple of games where we're not playing in in Melbourne. So to come is. Uh, North Melbourne this week, Sydney, they're both at Marble, the Gold Coast, which at this stage is, is set to be played up at the Gold Coast, Adelaide in Ballarat, Melbourne at the MCG, Essendon at Marvel, Hawthorne in Tasmania, which they may be able to still play there, and then Port Adelaide at Marvel. So there's a couple of there's a couple of decent opponents there. But with most of those games being played at, at Docklands, I would fancy us, particularly against you know, against sides like Essendon and, and Port Adelaide, who have, who have shown a bit of decent form, and North Melbourne as well. Too. What was it? Um, Brian Taylor he also made mention at the back end of the match against Eagles that we have a challenging three-week stretch in our last three matches of the season: Hawthorne, Essendon, and Port. I wouldn't like to think as much as the other sides have improved in Essendon and Hawthorne to an extent. I wouldn't think that they'd be exactly a challenge per se on us. I'd, I'd say that they're they're decent sides but i would have us still as favorites especially essendon and, and port adelaide with them being played at, at uh, docklands and we haven't played poor since uh Port at marvel since 2015 or even before that and before that i think we mentioned it was 2007 mm-hmm. admittedly there's been you know home games up at tio stadium but, but teams, still you know that fact remains teams changed a bit since 2007 a bit that, that was, was actually, a retro night too as well, wasn't it, it? It was, and guess what? No one was wearing sleeves. Um, now, you mentioned about the, what did I think about the game? Yeah. Now, it is important. I don't rate the Eagles as highly in terms of flag threats because that's how the, that's the only way that I rate sides. I don't care if you're still you know, a competent side. I'll only determine you on your legitimacy to win a flag. Okay. And it's, it's, it's interesting for a club that, for the Eagles anyhow, for a club that has all these resources and such, you know, and yet every year they're going over as, a, as being a legitimate contender and such, they've only ever really, and this is not a knock on them completely, but they've only really ever put it together in, in short bursts. You know, their errors that they tend to have only last, you know, two two seasons, maybe three seasons at max before they return back to, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth place on the, on the ladder. And that's exactly where they tend to be this season again. And, and much was the case parts of last year. Um, but no, no, that was a it was a game that I mentioned to you, and you also mentioned to me that there was different advantages in our favour. You mentioned about there being um, no crowd, that the weather would not help their tools get into it, and, and all these other things. Mm-hmm. And I think I was pretty um, 
strong in my thoughts of saying, well, we're 40% better than them and, and two games clear. And, you know, yeah. we're both pushing for the same mentality, just in different methods. And for us, and on my end, it was more so we're better than them. We've been better than them this season. We'll prove it. And we, we certainly did. I think so, certainly you were you were looking so that that says to me you're looking more at the at the ladder and just sort of the the raw numbers. I think I was taking more in into sense. account where it's being played, because you can mm. you can sort of rate West Coast as a side whether you think they're a genuine Premiership threat or not mm. at Optus Stadium, and notoriously difficult to beat. Mm. They're thirteen two and nine or thirty three and nine now there. Yeah, so that that I says to me that mm. teams teams that aren't up to it. Teams that aren't good enough to challenge for premierships don't go over there and win. No, not at all. Not if at you all. go over I, there, if you go over there and beat West Coast in Perth, you are a, you are a genuine shout at winning a premiership. Hmm. And it's sure. not to say it's for not sure. to say it's not to say if you lose you're not, but if but because it's so hard, if you can go over there and do it, my goodness, pe- people have to sit up and, and take to notice. that fashion too. Yeah, oh, and they, to that fashion yeah. as well. I mean, we it's, didn't just win. I, mm-hmm. Smash them! Should have. It I should think I was have also been... looking. Yeah, I should have been closer. To, I think the biggest margin we've ever had against them is seventy points. It should have eclipsed that quite comfortably. Oh yeah. I think if, yeah. According to the, if you ran the numbers, I think it was Champion Data. They ran the numbers via the, um, you know, expected kicking and such for, for scores. I think they had the Eagles as one point less, so they should have got to forty-four by the by the mathematics, mm-hmm. and we should have ended up around the mid 120s i think our margin should have been closer to 78 points than 55 i will will say 20 points five of them were rushed so take that down to 13 15 that's not too bad there were also a few there were also a few kicks i I don't have the exact numbers but i can i can just sort of i can visualize a lot of the points being kicked either from long distances or tight angles just because you know you get it forward in in a game where it's where the conditions are like that So what was it? Twenty. We had twenty. If you take away those rushed behinds, that's twenty-eight. So that's still, shots. So still twenty-eight registered scores from sixty yep. entries. Yeah. So that's the better part of again. It's just under fifty. Just quick math here. Yeah, quick math here. About forty-eight percent or so, yep. which is, which is pretty good to be honest. You know, we're doing our. We held up our end of the bargain there, and we kept them to what, thirteen scoring shots from thirty-seven or from thirty-eight, 38? entries. Yeah. So it's just a tick over. Just a tick over 33, 34% or so, which is well below the AFL average in terms of scoring shots converted into, or sorry, inside 50s converting into scoring shots. So that's that's amazing when you consider that on how strong the Eagles are in that, uh, in that department. And can we put to bed now the myth that the Bulldogs' defense cannot hold up against hmm. premiership contenders? In the last hmm. two weeks, We've played two. This is this is gonna this is gonna trip up people. Two three-headed monsters. So uh, on the weekend it was Kennedy, Darling, and Allen. The week before it was Cameron, Rowan, and Hawkins. Five goals kicked between the Geelong trio, and I think it was three goals kicked by the West Coast trio. Two to Allen, one to Kennedy, none to Darling. No scores. No scores at all for Darling. No score at all. I don't think it there's was even a scoring quiet. shot. I don't think. Not, um, yeah, not to my knowledge. Can, yeah, can we can we put marks, that to? I didn't even notice him at all. He took a couple of marks, but they were a long way out from goal. Like it, mm. when the ball got towards when the ball was inside the fifty, he wasn't a threat. 
No, no. He, he had to get up. He quite had to get up the ground to get his kicks. So can we mm. put to bed this this myth that the Bulldogs' defense can't handle it? Because I mm. think they've proven quite emphatically, particularly against West Coast, that they can do it. Mm. And, and it, it was does a bit different too. It was. It wasn't from the immense pressure from the midfield, which has genuinely been protecting them on occasions. Yep. It wasn't the isolation of the one-on-ones, and I'll admit that. But according to the numbers, once again, apparently our pressure rating for the entire game was actually deemed quite poor. It was, oh, really? Yeah, it was, it was from well, both sides. So I would say um, that you... progressively worse from the second, third, and fourth. You horses. can't pressure the opposition if you've got the ball, though. Exactly. Well, I said. mean, it's 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 like well saying, said. oh, your tackle numbers are low, so it means you're not chasing hard enough. But if you've got the ball, mm. you don't need to mm. chase. Of course, you're not going to be tackling the opposition. Or you're not going to be we tackling to, your teammates. No, we seem to be more penetrating with the ball in hand, too, and a bit more direct with our play. I can barely think of, off the top of my head again, you know, I can probably barely count how many times that the, on one hand, that is that the Eagles went through the corridor whether it be via a kick-in or until late in the game. They, we hemmed them in beautifully into their back 50, didn't we? They seem to be doing a lot like what we did against Melbourne, actually. Just sort of hold the ball, just mm. go from one end to the other, to the other, to the other. Try and sort mm. of pinpoint a way through. Mm. And, and that's what does what that mean? Bit... That means we've learnt. It's just another thing we've, we've, we can tick off the box and we can better prepare for the D's game. Yep. Or the upcoming days game. Yeah, when it when it eventually does arrive, I very much look forward to that. Hope we can uh, hope we can get crowds in. Mm. I haven't heard anything about any sort of change to the crowd. Whether that eighty five percent capacity is, is going ahead as of yet, we we wait and see on on that one. Mm. I think I think that, that, would that be was nice. it was it was, so it's it's a cap number number at the moment rather than a percentage of of twenty five thousand for outdoor events. So that's the MCG in Marvel. They were hoping to bump that up to eighty five percent. Obviously, pending COVID developments. Now, there's been developments, just not in this state. So we wait and see. I suppose the only bad news out of the um, out of the, the game at the weekend was the injury to Ryan Gardner, which we need to talk a little bit about. So this I had the had the had the, the vision of his injury against North going through my head at the exact moment he got hit by Kennedy because it was identical. It's exactly the same. He's gone to to go in for the mark and someone's just coming from the side and smashed him. And I could see the little indentation on his shoulder um, when the when the cameras were, were on him and I could tell straight away they'd done something. Don't know if it's an AC joint yet. Um, that's not been officially confirmed, but it it, it it was exactly the same. It looks like it was exactly the same as, as what happened to him against North Melbourne. Different, different, different shoulder, mm-hmm. mine. Different arm. Mm. So he did his, yeah, let me think about this. He did his left shoulder against North. I was this hoping you going to work that out. What is the different shoulder to the right shoulder? You'd hope it's the left. <laughs> well, no, I was just trying to think which shoulder did he do then and which shoulder has he done now? He's, he definitely yeah. did his right shoulder at the weekend. Mm. Um, so he was, he was taken off straight away. His game actually was very underrated. One hand pass, nine spoils, 11 one percenters. He yes, missed definitely a quarter was and a half. Bring that up there for they sure. were both game highs, and he only and, and he only played two and a half quarters. He's an interesting footballer, isn't he, Gardner? And I remember mentioning to a it's fair to say uh, to divides opinion person online. He does. He he can be a, a polarizing figure, but not due to him creating all controversy. You know, it's not none of it's due to his own fault. It's just you know, opinions that people have. And he was a long way game high for that. Um, next best was Bontempelli with seven, and that was that involved 27% more game time. So it's it's interesting with Gardner because so I mentioned a few years back to, to a fellow online, and I'll say this also too, I think I mentioned on the podcast that he would probably be more of a, of a short-term solution until we could 
find a, a better alternative. At the moment, though, he seems to be the preferred alternative, doesn't he? But I mentioned at the time to someone else that he'll, he's got the attributes that suggest he can make it. It's just whether there's the other stuff that comes with it, you know, whether it's confidence and such and all these, all these things that probably hold him back mentally. He's, as, as we found out last year, that he's a very nervous starter, but he seems yeah. to have been a lot more assured in, in himself this season anyhow. There seems to be a lot more confidence and um, security in his, in his position within within the club itself you know that they that they do trust him to do the right things and he's he's a no frills footballer isn't he though yeah does what he has to do yeah which is, of, which is exactly what we need yeah yeah he doesn't doesn't play outside that that square that we sort of talk about he knows what he he knows what he can do well and he just sticks to that and there's and been he a does it of, very well there's been a couple of questions that have that have been asked about Gardner. lots of fan questions this week and we'll try and get through them throughout the the course of the episode rather than sort of just pile all in at the end uh one of our favorites great contributor debt at control on sort of shift underscore and now that gardner is back out is this finally young's opportunity so that's uh that's uh, uh sleep hall of fame uh, legend lewis young opportunity to get a few weeks in the team in a row without getting dropped over an average game and there was another question about that now from at grant underscore finlayson what do we do without gardner for most likely the rest of the year now do we give Young a crack again? Do we go in undersized with Wood and Crozier to come in? It's a big decision that could influence our year. I suppose that one's a bit dated given that we now know there's also an injury to Easton Wood. He rolled his ankle in the VFL. Or I said rolled his ankle, but he's injured his ankle. So that'll be about three to four weeks, according to, to Mark Stevens. I would say with... The political reporter, Mark Stevens. Political reporter, liberal political reporter, Mark Stevens. Actually. That's the one. So with, with Gardner, let's just sort of put a time frame on it. Let's assume that it's an AC joint. He missed. He, he was injured in round three. He came back in round twelve. He gets injured now in in round fourteen. He comes back. He's available nine weeks later, round twenty three. So one game there, and then then we go into finals. So let's just assume that the time frame is is about that. That's a significant window, and then obviously you're bringing in a player who's who's potentially got one match under his belt in for a final. Where do we go from here? Is, do, is, is Lewis Young the obvious? replacement or do we are we looking elsewhere that's a very tricky question though isn't it because it depends what you're after now because we brought gardner back in in respect to the ideas of combating as you mentioned before these um what was it the three-headed dogs or three-headed monsters or such three, i call them three-headed monsters you can call them whatever you want oh, for, for us we've got the triple-headed dog or whatever it is triple Triple Baileys. We've got the Triple Baileys and we've got the, the, so the three-headed monster. What a beautiful thing that, that it is, you know, the Triple Baileys. The, it's what amazing. About, what about the Triple Treat in midfield? I just, just, I just want to go through a bit of a memory. We deal trip. in threes. That's yeah. all I can say. Do you remember the, remember the midfield trio of Bontempelli, McCrane, Dunkley in 2019? That was amazing. That oh, was wasn't amazing. That, wasn't, that a good, wasn't that a good trio? That was so so much fun to watch the second mm. half of that year. Anyway, that carry on. How, how do we uh, how do no, resolve what am I gonna more do? immediate issues? What are we going to do? Yeah. I think we're going to go undersized. I think we've seen Cordy probably take a bit more of a, since your particular rant on him, which was which was at the time well justified, and I, and I would agree with it, because left a bit to be desired at times. But he's taken on different criticism probably from within the club on his – you know, in his stride, and he's come a long way since round seven. He's had good games since, since round seven. He's had I've some been, very fine. He's had some been, very fine games. I've been more than willing to 
to to call them out when I've seen them, particularly against Port Adelaide. I thought that was probably his, mm. the best game he I've seen. He was fantastic against Port. Yeah, but um, yeah, I think they'll be more likely to see him once again return to the to the second key position defender and let Keith go go once more into number one. The question is, though, I think it's not the case of worrying about other other tall threats because I think the side with the return of you know again Dunkley and Trelaw, you know, that provides that midfield support that can once again protect the back six. Not that it needs much protecting like it used to, you know, because there's very capable one-on-one type players there, or at least players that can at least bring the ball to ground and then go to work and hope, you know, to to wait for some reinforcements to, to assist them out there. Um, the query is, is just who else goes back. And I'm wondering whether Daniel decides to slide a bit more or, or whether we bring Hunter to do a bit more um, two-way running. I know he does a lot of two-way running as it is, yeah. but to maybe feature a bit more in the, in the defensive half of, of the ground than, than the front half. But no, no. Do you think we might be going to potentially seeing Bailey Williams take more of a lockdown role? Because Crozier too, wasn't he was absent yesterday. So that defence so is... His return will be, be likely. It's just yeah. whether it is form depending. That defence has, has had a bit of a... It's, gone through a bit of a shake-up hasn't it because i think we all mm. sort of we all felt it was it was fairly settled and we had an idea on what our back six was at the start of the year but it's changed so much you've got obviously gardner's been out for for large portions of mm. the year and, and will be so again you had we still didn't expect dale to be that effective down back didn't we that was still no, a shock and a half we didn't have dale down back we had Cordy out of the side to begin with. We had Crozier firmly entrenched in there. He's I can sort of understand why he's come out of the side. He hasn't been the player that, that we know. They pushed he Taylor. Have a, he did have an ankle injury to an extent against the Cats. He didn't land. I think he landed yeah. pretty uncomfortably at once in time. I've forgotten when it was, but that would probably no doubt have been giving him some discomfort leading up to the game. Yeah, he felt he looked like he was and, in the wars. And in a wet slog. Yeah. Yeah. And it wouldn't have been a wet slog against Eels too, but you know, a bit of rain and hard. Hard well or that that's not very conducive no. to for, for such injuries like that. No. Uh, who was the other one? Caleb Daniels been pushed up the ground. Bailey Williams is I think he struggled a little bit this year. I do wonder he only had the eleven disposals on the weekend. I do wonder whether he was being asked to just sort of just, sit on just the line as I think it was. Hold back a bit. Just sort of and and I suppose the um the talls as well, because we saw him certainly in the in the game against West Coast earlier in the year, he was often playing on someone like Allen or Darling or Kennedy or something like that. More, more so Allen, I think. So I'm wondering whether what they just you... sort of told him he had to sacrifice his offensive game a bit just to just mm. to help out a bit more. Going I think way. so. It's, it's, it's probably been the case too, because since he's been playing a bit more tighter, we've actually probably seen some of the best form, not just even for this season, but even probably in the past four or five weeks, the best form of Jure's career. He seems to be playing a you know, do, doing what he normally does, a bit of a lockdown defender, but he's been featuring a lot higher up the ground too at times, hasn't he? He He's been getting the up season, a lot more in the midfield too. He started the season outside of the club's plans for the best 22, and I cannot understand why. Outside the clubs, you're saying, or, or well, fans specifically? No. I don't he, know if he was outside the club's best 22 because he did play early on. He but played. He didn't feature in the practice games, no. No. He so played I'm wondering. The, I wonder. He played the two yeah. practice matches for the reserves. He didn't play in yeah. the seniors game. He had yeah. a massive game against. Because they knew what he could have done, though. I think it's more for that because I knew what to expect from him, not in the sense that they're looking beyond him. But again, this is, you know, three and a half months um, oversight or yeah. such. I feel like no, he, I wouldn't have thought he would have been. I felt like he wasn't, he wasn't in their plans. He was sort of put a bit on notice because that wouldn't have been out of the ordinary 
because there are a few players who are, who are like that. Cordy, uh, Johannesson, Richards. I want to we'll talk about Richards in a moment. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have surprised me if Jure was in that, that group as well, just because they, they had a sort of track record, a recent track record of putting a couple of players on notice. He had a massive game against Casey. He had like 40 disposals in the last practice match. He got his spot in round one. He's played every game since. And that's, what I mean, that, yeah. that's what I mean, though. The fact that he went straight back in, I still think that that's more for the fact that they just wanted to trial out some other options more so. Possibly. It's just odd that, that he, right, he, could, he could have played at least even one of the games. Anyway, uh, Ed Richards. Now, we need to talk about Ed Richards because this is, this is getting, this is going to, this is actually going to add a lot of intrigue to what we discuss over the, over the next couple of months. Lots of players coming out of contract, Richards being one of them. Suffered the, uh, uh, suffered that leg ankle injury. Uh, it wasn't and, the most, it was something else, wasn't it? No, I think it was just, I think it was just like a fractured fibula or something like that. I think Jason yeah, that's, that's said on the, the telly. That's the one. Played one game in the VFL, looked very good against Geelong Mide, brought in after the one match, which I thought was odd. Uh, for someone to spend so long out of the out of the side, who I wouldn't consider a, an absolute best 22 lock, has come in straight away. And look, I thought he played quite well. Ed Richards. We were, we've been a bit critical of, of Richards last season. Um, I think, uh, in terms of his production, more so. Yeah, so a couple that's of... That's been the tricky part for him. So I think it's... The ball. Yeah, so I think it's uh, I think it's uh, dead again. Who's um, who's made mention of that? Um, said that Richards was in our in our best twenty-two, and everyone's everyone's entitled to their opinion. I didn't have Richards in mine. I felt like last year he played, or even though he played every game, I felt like he he didn't contribute in the way that we'd come to expect. In fact, I thought he'd gone backwards from his first two campaigns. Whatever he's done in that game against Geelong has obviously convinced, and I suppose what he's done since he's come back from injury is convinced the club that, uh, or, or convinced the coaching staff that he deserves an opportunity. And I thought he had a, yeah, a couple of couple of scratchy moments, but I thought on the whole he was he was generally pretty good. I think he, I feel like he didn't understand the conditions a hundred percent of the time. It was a sort of game where going backwards wasn't a very good idea. Even just with a with a hand pass a couple of meters backwards, like I get why players do it. I just don't think it was the right sort of conditions for it. I think it was it was a sort of a territory game where you get the ball forward and a couple of those hand pass backward hand passes backwards miss the target and it just and, you know that adds another couple of meters back and it just puts your teammate under a bit of pressure. But I thought generally it was pretty good, Richards. And another question from from Det: Does Crozy get back into the side if Richards continues this form? I think so for more out of necessity because and we're still hoping to or to probably back Crows to get into what we know he's capable of. Um, and he does seem to be one that tends to to relish a challenge because, you know, he, he'd put forward the better part of what from mid-20, I was going to say mid-2014, what am I on about? Mid-2018 to probably the back end of last season, he put together, you know, very strong 40 plus games, you know, 50 games or so where I think you and I were even at times potentially even calling for him being a, at the, at the least uh, an all Australian nominee, you know, the first half of last season at the minimum, or at least been in the reckoning, uh, in the reckoning for one. Sorry, who was this again? Was this for, for Crozier? That Crozier. Was. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, um, mm, I, we'll, thought we'll was, I, I want him to come in still. I, I thought he, he was should. close in 2019 actually. He probably should have been a lot well, closer than he, than he was given credit for that year. And, uh, so he was I, he was fantastic. I remember in the lead up to the finals, I obviously interview all the all the finals um, coaches. Coaches make finals. 
And Luke Beveridge actually went out of his way to mention Crozier. And, and no one, no one else, no one had, had triggered that for him. He just sort of went out of his way to say, "Oh, look, I feel Crozier had a, had a very good season, and he did have a very good season." Crozier. It's been a bit of stop-start for him because he's had a, as you say, he's had a couple of injuries. Obviously, missed the first uh, first month, five weeks. First, so first yeah, four, five came back against the, the Suns. Yep, yep. So missed the first four games. And yeah, looked a bit in the wars against Geelong, and I don't. And just when I reflect on it with the player ratings, I don't think I've given him any great scores. I thought he had a good game against Port Adelaide. Uh, after sort of getting a reprieve dropped and then named the medical sub and then subbed in as the medical sub at, at quarter time. I, I thought he had a good game there. I think I gave him an eight, but I, I don't think I've given him many more than maybe a, a five or a six in any of the other games he's played this season, which I think I can sort of see why he's not in the side at the moment, that he's not been showing the form that we know he can produce. He needs something of an equivalent of what a what a rocket is, but yeah. he'll get it in a far more calmer a calmer sense. Uh, Crozier, Crozier will be fine with that. I just wonder though, because it's been a few games since, or been a little while since, of course, last season, since um, we've seen him at his damaging best, and we know what he can do. And that's a a very very fine halfback who is exceptional not only in, in rebounding but also being very competent in one on one duels. Because generally, it seems like he'd be the one that would have taken on the the role that what Williams has become now, you know? Yep. Be that deepest medium defender, for instance, or even Duray too. But it's it's strange. Well, I think that's the benefit of, of this team being, or that defense having all these players come back, is that if Crozier is out of form, it's it's not the end of the world because you've still got Williams down there. You've got Daniel, you've still got Dale. You've got players that can still play these sort of roles. And you've got Keith and, and Gardner and, and Cordy, particularly Keith and, and Cordy, who played more, who have actually, you know, been able to, to hold the floor a bit with respect to the, the opposing key forwards. So just, just if one player is down on their usual output or one player is injured, they're still able to cover quite well. You're not really noticing a major gap in the side. Now, and that's probably due to all the others, as you mentioned, that they've been able to, to seize the initiative and, and take on that extra responsibility. And it seems to be a different player in the halfback line each week, you know, and I said it's in this month or, or so it's been, it's been Duray that has seemed to have excelled in the early months, of, sorry, in the early stages of the season this year it was Williams. And then, you know, in rounds four or five onwards to, you know, up until the Richmond game or the Port Adelaide game, it had been Bailey Dale mm-hmm. in terms of the, the halfback rebound lines. Okay. So, no, it's it's a really intriguing proposition, you know, for for all these players there too. And there's there's a fair few others in in the VFL as well that are that are coming on quite nicely, um, and even those that even aren't part of our AFL system. You know, Ruben Williams once again he featured quite well on the weekend too. So we'll have he's to, an interesting prospect. Very have interesting to get prospect. to the the VFL. Couple couple of other questions. Don't want to don't want to go through the same sort of questions that we get every week. So we've got a couple of, got a couple of questions about Mitch Hannon a, a, again. Um, uh, we've we've sort of spoken a, a lot about Hannon. If 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 you had to pick because the the compar- the because the the question debt sort of posing to us is is Wallace or Hannon? In a word, Nick. Wallace or Hannon? In a word. In a word. Ironically, I'll go Hannon. Hannon. I'll go Hannon. Still, I think it's just more for the point of difference that he provides. At, at this point in time, um, Wallace, 
he still yeah, really should still probably be in the best side. And I'm, I was glad to see him there. Um, he would probably still be one of those characters that regardless takes it in his stride, whether he's named in the 22 or as a medical sub or, or playing VFL football, you know, it's the club is ingrained into him. And um, it was good to see, and it was nice to see him play on the weekend. You know, apparently that was his, well, just to show how out of touch he deemed, you know, via the player ratings, um, champion player ratings or whatever it is, that's, that half off so that he featured against West Coast was his best performance of the year. And really he's only played, you know, he's only played, you know, a few games yeah. to be fair, but it just shows you to an extent that I think people got stuck more into the opinion last year. And it's not that he was poor last year. He was very good last year, but I think people were more drawn to, to the scoreboard impact as his contribution to games last year, more so. Now, to be fair, said he was played as a forward, so you know well, it's going to yeah. happen. Ultimately, but, forwards are there to kick goals. Yeah, indeed. But it's interesting, you know, if those if that wasn't happening, per se, how was he at this point in time? How is he going to contribute in other ways? So I think it's not a bad option though, him being as a medical sub because he could become somewhat as a as a relief forward or as a as a fix it in the midfield if he needs to if he needs to spread some some minutes around, you know say, throw Bont forward or, or search for something more dynamic in the midfield, or if we need to load up on contested ball winners, then that's, once again, Liber and, and then Dunkley and then potentially Wallace. But I think it's more for the professional aspects as to why he's also good on uh, on match day, say, as a medical sub. You know, there's the talk of him getting into, you know, a coaching career down the track, and he can offer those, um, those valued opinions from the bench too as well, not only on the field, but, but as well as there too. So, but now with Hannon, I'm still, we're still wondering what's the case here, but I think you mentioned last week and I've agreed with it that, yeah, he's still behind the eight ball in terms of his equivalence of a preseason or such. I mean, look at many weeks it was. Look at Norton who has had a preseason and the the Mm. leap that he's made. Now that was Mm. his first preseason Norton. And you show, and you see where he's gone from 2019 to, oh, sorry, from 2020 to 2021. Mm. And then look at where mm. Hannon's gone from 2020 to 2021 without a preseason. You might think, oh, but the preseason was ages ago. Surely these players catch up by now. We saw what happened with, uh, I think another one was was Liberatore, and they they think that they when he rocked up after the premiership in 2016, a lot of suggestions that he was off the pace. And if you start preseason behind the eight ball, you spend the whole season mm. behind the eight ball. It really catches up in you, doesn't it? And it's not just like one week turns into two. It's, it genuinely can turn into a couple of months. Yeah. It really can. Because it, it's, it's not just a six-month season. You've got to focus. These guys are professional footballers and it's their job for 12 months a year for the better part of that. Like, let's take Liberatore. He was spending that preseason not getting better, just getting back to where he was. That's, mm. the, that's, the, time when, when you, that's the time when you improve as a, as a footballer, that preseason. But Liber wasn't improving. He was sort of just getting back to where he was. And because he started so far behind, he spent the whole season sort of trying to get back to where he was. A preseason is so important. And I think a lot of, I think it is lost on a lot of people. And I can understand why it's lost on a lot of people because the season is so long and because they play so many games and they do all the training. You think, oh, well, you, you know, you can make up for it, but you really can't. If you don't have a preseason, it makes a big, big, big difference. And if you do have a preseason, well, just look at someone like Norton. Mm. At Davy Boy, JR1, I'm, I'm glad we've been asked this question because I don't think this guy's got the credit that he's deserved over the past fortnight. Is English our main ruck now? 
I'd still say no, but what I've noticed with English is that his rut craft has matured so much over the past fortnight. He he had more hitouts than anyone else against Geelong. And that knew he had a very good game, but he and and he dominated at times in that knew he, but I don't think English was was ragdolled around like he has been in the past. He still had 23 hitouts, English. And unlike the Geelong match, he was still able to have his own unique impact on the game with marking it down the line. Intercept marks and inside 50 marks as well. I think that's probably a lot down to the secondary ruck options that West Coast have. Not saying that they're, you know, know, a chasm below what Geelong's provided because, you know, there's Radigalier and Blitzavs and and all these other options that they had too. But they're probably not as athletic as those types of players. So they would make English a bit more accountable as such. But you were touching on before English and his physicality, yes? He's, yeah. it's, it's definitely improved in that sense too, because in in seasons gone by, you know, last year and the year before and at, at times, we'd noticed that, yes, English would get ragdolled, but he'd also struggle to to use his to use his size, his frame and his reach to, you know, to win a hit out. But the thing at the time, what wasn't in question, which is ironic, was his ability to convert his, the chances that he did get when he had a hit out into hit outs to advantage. So you mentioned he had, what, what was it, 23? 23 of the weekend, okay. yes. Here's the pleasing thing about this, and this is against, you know, what I still uh, believe, or who I still believe is the best tap ruckman going around uh, in that Nui. English had 11 to advantage. Wow. Half. West Coast, yeah, West Coast or Nat Nui or whoever it was, roughly, yeah, they had 14. So the thing is there is that despite... So he's doing two things right there. Obviously, he's a lot more confident in his size and frame. So he's feeling that he's up for the challenge you know, into taking on to these, these ruckmen there too. And because he's doing that now, the previous advantage that these other rucks used to have over him is being negated, no matter how small it is, but it's it's dropping off now. Yeah. You know, And that's the most pleasing thing too, because it means that our midfield doesn't have to work overtime in, in having to, to shark the ball and it's, it sounds simple as it is, but the thing is that mentality for them, that's like a, a whole weight off their shoulders, you know, that they can actually, they feel confident enough to trust in their ruckman to be able to break even. And that, that is that is immense for us too. And that even brings question to what, what happens with Steph Martin then? Because he was also in attendance on, um, on Saturday afternoon. At the VFL? Um, he was there, yep. He just yep, rocked up and um, was up on the bench, you know, giving his... Words of wisdom. Well, I think they've they've sort of offered a a, a coaching role transition. There is a there is coaching. a coaching so wonder transition if, role. Wonder if that's got part of it part to do with it. Mm. One more question. Uh, unfortunately, we can't answer all the questions uh, again. What we'll, what we'll, we'll try and do, I think, is oh, there's some there's some good questions here. I think what we'll we'll try and do is is re- just reply to the ones that we haven't been able to answer. And I'm really sorry, but I do want to ask I do want to ask this question. Nick. It's from Laurie at Bulldog King. On a scale of one to ten. How much of Sam Darcy and Jamari Hagen upset John Ralph? I think you upset John Ralph a fair bit today. Well, I try, I try not to. <laughs> it's not intentional. No. I wonder if Eddie McGuire might have too, as well as the NGA Academy stuff, but uh, that doesn't happen there. Well, I'm just, uh, I'm just, I'm just calling it as I say it. It's uh, with that. Um, nothing wrong with. With the Bulldogs having first refusal on Sam Darcy, father-son rule's been around forever. Um, no, no it's, 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 it's an amazing rule, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's a fantastic thing to have, and it's just it's just a shame of it that other clubs 
aren't able to have the success that we've had in, in that department there. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful element of our game, you know, and I'm glad that it's been pushed up from what, what it used to be. How many games was it? 50 games or I don't know. Or such? I don't remember exactly. It's 100 it was now. 50 games or yeah, it's a hundred now and hundreds of hundreds of fair bit of loyalty. That's a very fine amount of games to, to represent the club. Um, but, you know, Sam Darcy, so it's, it's good to see that it's come for Vic Metro more so than, you know, his school. And that says that there's a fair bit of progress there. It's ironic because it's talk about him being a key position defender, actually, not a key forward. So six goals at the weekend for the Vic country, I think, against Vic Metro, uh, Sam Darcy. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I don't mind it as a, as a potential key defender. We'll see. Mm, I think that's the talk. I think he's 203. 204. 204. 204. Oh, God. My, this is the tallest we've ever been. And then there's a fair few <laughs> other ones too. Who else have we got? We've got, we got more Darcy's. We've got more Johnson's. There's a couple more of the father sons on the way over mm. the next four or five years too. It's incredible. Yeah, look, looking, looking, looking We're going to change our club name, aren't we? We're gonna, how are we going gonna... to fit all these guys in? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've been crying out for tools for how many decades? That's only yeah, now we're coming out of their ears. Yep. Yeah, if influx of tools and fathers' sons. There is there is one absolutely one question. No, sorry, but we've got to ask this one. At Grant underscore Finlayson, how many votes do we think Jackson McRae will be on? Because he will be right up there. He may poll in more games than the bond, but obviously not as many three vote games. Plenty of ones and twos. I'm really glad he asked this question. And I'm I'm sorry. I know we're definitely going to go over time, but I want to answer this one because this is a question that I think deserves an answer. I've gone through the games here, Nick. Um, I don't know if you've got them up there. but let, I'm going to quickly do that right now. Just, just go along with me and, and see what you think. So I've got uh, two votes against West Coast in round two, 41 disposals. Lock it in. Lock I've, in. Got, I've got two votes against Brisbane in round four, 32 I'm happy and a goal. I'm happy to back that. I've got at minimum one vote, possibly two against the Suns in round five. Yeah. Uh, just with Probably the there, should be, there should be another... Two, I'd say, against the Giants. I would say after. three against the Giants. You're going three. I'm, I'm going trying to three think who else could have been. Who else could be for that game, I wonder. Uh, uh, um, other than Trelaw or or Dunkley, even. But yeah, no, I think he's got the three against the Giants. Even, no, 40 potentially, goal. potentially liver. Potentially liver. Possibly. But, you know, McRae was amazing too that night. So it's a good, good headache to have that. Oh, you know, absolutely. Um, I've got him then getting... Uh, I would think a vote against St Kilda in round 10, 41 disposals. Um, and I can certainly see him getting a vote. Um, possibly, I could see him getting a vote against West Coast. So what's that? One, two, uh, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. I've got him on 11 votes at the moment. I'm just even wondering too regarding the Fremantle game because no one re- really stood out that day. Bontempelli's got the three from, from, even, from even both sides. But yeah, Bontempelli, oh, sorry, apologies. That's probably one player that did. Bontempelli yeah. was, and excuse me, he was taking the piss for, for large portions of that match. But yeah, in terms of the rest of the side, you know, you can only give out six brown votes um, collectively. What about the big Kahuna? Oh, God. <laughs> to me, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's an interesting footballer, Josh Tracy. Uh, how old is he, actually? No, so I he's, don't think he's that old. At this point in time, he's 18 years and 326 days. So seven goals in his eight games with the best of three yes, against us. So, well, I've got uh, 11. He'll, he'll, he'll observe that. He'll, I've got he'll 11, but he, 
Well, he could could be more because I didn't include any votes against Fremantle. So I got eleven, no, which is probably one vote in the Fremantle game, which might be about it. I'd say. Alrighty. Uh, now let's let's move on quickly to the VFL because Nick, I sent you on a little scouting mission. Uh, I said go to the VFL, watch Footscray play. Oh, yes, did you now? Yeah, I did. I said drop. I don't care what I don't care what you're doing. I said don't don't go to don't work if you're working. Don't work. Just go to the VFL, watch Footscray. Uh, be the first of us to watch Jamara Eugle Hagen live. What if I was working whilst I was watching Footscray? Well, I, I told. Ah, that's well, the thing. That's... I, I thought I thought my instructions were quite explicit. No working. Go to the VFL, watch Footscray, and bring back some notes. Um, I was tempted to have Brad also feature tonight. I did ask him, but unfortunately, he's at he's got his wrestling training, so it would have been nice to have got a, an extra opinion too. Yeah, don't don't get into an argument with uh, Bradley these days. So Footscray seven from seven. I tell you what, both these sides tracking on very nice at the moment. Thirteen six eighty four to seven ten fifty two. Glass McCasker, McPherson, Nathan Drummond, who I feel like has been on Footscray's books for about four years, finally played his first game. He kicked two goals. Uh, Benny Cavara with a couple of goals as well. McNeil, West, Bedendo in the sleeves. Hugel Hagen in the sleeves. And not Van der Meer, but Van der Heuvel, Van der Heuvel uh, with a goal as well. I, I, like, I like him as well. He's, a, he's another one that sort of playing around full back. Even McComb was all right too. McComb, he got 24 McComb, disposals. Yes, he was good. He was Look, actually very good. Monica continues to just sneer, um, just screw he his was, nose up at the VFL. He was, he was well tagged. Not well tagged, oh, well, so he no, was tagged by... Um, no, 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 to, to an extent. No, no, it was a different performance. It was a different performance from, from Monica, um, from what we've been accustomed to see, to be fair. I was there, Matthew. If that's being well tagged, if that was being well tagged, I'd hate to think how many got if he wasn't being tagged. Yeah, no, I was... His performance was good. Okay, I'd still at the worst case scenario for for Lipinski, um, it's a minimum seven, but at the best case, it's still going to be an eight. I wouldn't have given him a, anything higher than that. I didn't mind his game because there was some some good portions of it. But from what I saw, um, before Woods' injury, God, he was a class above. Um, even probably the week beforehand too. But Christ, he was a he was well and truly the standard in the, in the first quarter and a bit before that injury. Um, what else Hayes, was there? Uh, Hayes Bidendo, at 25. Dis- freakish. Sorry, I just go to the disposals. Hayes, 25 disposals as well. I said Lipinski, 28. Hayes, 25. McCoop, 24. West, 23. And Sullivan with 20. For the leading possession getters for Footscray. Notable uh, absentee um, included um, Josh Shackey, who was part of the emergencies after after kicking six mm. goals for Footscray. He was brought along mm. to Perth. Didn't play, obviously, um, but he did not play in the VFL either. So Nick, it I takes a lot the, for that too. So, no, no, you're right. you. what, no, what, did you so what did you take away? What did you take away? What did I take away? Very scrappy game from for most of the contests there too. But I think some of the boys at um, Coburg they ran the numbers as well, and they mentioned that to Footscray to get seven or eight goals via turnovers in comparison to the to the one for the Burgers. So that obviously you know highlights the difference between you know either side's ability to be clinical. Um, moving the ball across the ground to, to punishing on said turnover right there. Um, I, I thought West was, I thought West was combative. He still, still is leaving a bit to be desired at this point in time. You know, um, not selfish is not the word, but he does seem very, uh, very hungry. He wasn't playing a lot of in, in the pockets, but it was more towards the, you know, inside the guts and then towards the wing on occasions there. You know, so there was plenty of hunt and desire for him, but. I know, just 
the game didn't stand out for me despite the 23 touches. You know, it was more the intent was was fine, but that's mm-hmm. about it. Um, down back, I don't know. I can't say too much about that. Like Karmas and Young, they didn't have a huge amount to do in terms of, you know, killing off the high ball. There seemed to be a lot of uncontested marks around the back line, chipping it across there. But what, what did we go in? I think we had 11 AFL-listed players on the on the weekend and named. Lipinski, Hayes, West, Kavara, Young, Karmas, Badendo, McNeil, Sweet, Eugel, Hagen, Wood. That's 11. Thank you. Um, now, McNeil, I didn't mind him either. He was very good with his usual um, attributes, you know, McNeil with the steel. He, he was definitely up for that. And um, watching him from the sidelines, it was it was interesting, to say the least. Sweets seemed to move around the ground quite well, which was which was pleasing. He had a um, he was coming up against, a, not a former teammate, but a former Western Bulldog in Nathan Mullinger-McHugh, um, who's also been pretty combative this season. Mullinger-McHugh, the Ruckman now. Yeah, no, he's... Uh, unfortunately for Coburg, they've had um, their Injuries. two primary rucks in Cole Galloway, who was a former uh, former Swan. Um, I think it was round three. I think he had a fractured eye socket following that game. And Adam Swizbelek for for them in the round one game, he um, did a syndesmosis. So yeah, the two their two primary rucks have been out since rounds one and three, respectively. So yeah, a bit tough work for Nathan at this at this point in time for him. Yeah, uh, you want to you want to talk about the great man, do? Absolutely, because you, you've you've the privilege of the salty bull like being the first person to watch this, this man play live. Obviously, we're talking about uh, uh, obviously we're talking about Dominic Pendo, um, but before him, I want to speak about Jamara Eugle Hagen. Now, fairly quiet game: twelve disposals, one goal, um, hmm. four marks. I've got here. Uh, not not the best game. Hopefully, it's not the best game you'll ever see him play. What did you make of the the performance, though? I would like to know. Would like to hmm. know. So let's have a look. He's spent a bit of time. Don't you on dare a say of the good wing. Defenders. No, no, no. I didn't say the wing. No, I'm not saying the wing at all. No, he spent a fair good. bit of his time um, on a couple of good good defenders for one. Okay. Kobe's got a couple of nice ones in, uh, again, a former Sydney Swan in, in Jack Maven, but he played a bit higher up the ground. And the other one's um, key defender, a lockdown defender in Harry Nolan, who is a very, very good uh, prospect for sure. Um, East Ringwood boy, I believe. But uh, with Jamara, so he had a... It seemed probably the first time that this season he's actually copped the um, the double team, isn't it? You know, no support from Shaki, obviously, um, who was in Western Australia. So it's a different challenge for him. And it seemed like in the early parts of, this, of the match, he seemed to try too hard to get involved in the sense that he would get the ball, do a lot of those right things, but it was the next touch that came with it. Seemed a bit yeah. rushed, more so up in his mind. And it's not that it was, you know, the incorrect decision. It was just poor execution on occasions. But it was good to see that, again, once more, the, the desire and intensity was there on display. And it seemed to change, though, in the second half where the rewards were starting to come a bit more. He was starting to find those targets a bit more. Getting his his work rate and those second, third and fourth efforts were, were, were put on the track. So it's probably... So it's not a rewarding game per se in terms of, against scoreboard contribution, but as the match progressed, he seemed to get better and better in terms of running out the match. You know, that's been the main critique on him so far, being able to, to run out for the four quarters at, at a good standard too. So I think that's probably one thing that we can all be quite happy about. Well, it's effectively it's an 18th goes to the next season for mm-hmm. him, isn't it? It's effectively an 18th, his 18th year 
Yes. Because he didn't get any football last year. So we could sort of we could sort of we can equate this to being someone who's in there, well, he's still to be drafted, let's just say. For the most part, for the most part. But and I didn't mind him. I, I thought he was all right. Um, I think he was great, but there's you could probably take a lot more promise from what he delivered. And touch wood, you, you're gonna see, you know, the, the fruitions of of such a game, whether it's next week or, or the week after, but there'll be the rewards for that. So he'll play I said he wasn't brilliant, but he'll play worse games and and be a lot more successful on on the stats sheet. Okay. So well, no, look, I didn't I did not mind his game. It sounds encouraging because as I say, the, the numbers don't suggest encouraging. They don't sort of scream, yeah, no, this is this is good. But mm. you know, I, I take your word for everything that you've said. Sounds it sounds like things are sort of going in, in the right direction. Uh, they may take a, a bit longer than, than we'd hope, but it, it's it's going the right way. Like it, it's coming together. Is there? It was, it was good to see them play. I tell you that it's been a been a while. Is been there anyone while. anyone in line for a call up? It's just probably my final question. Is there anyone anyone from the game of the weekend who you reckon is a is a shout against uh, North this week? That's the one thing I found very strange. I didn't personally think anyone, even though there's a couple of others that you know had their had their moments, you know, with Lipinski and such. But it's interesting to see, and I think it's telling that that the club brought Richards and Garcia more for the speed that they provide in comparison to say what Lipinski does offer. And he offers a fair bit with ball in hand. It's just the other stuff hmm. that is probably still a bit lacking, which is that those defensive aspects. And that's what I think Bontempelli touched on post-game. You know, a lot of the um, a lot of the power running or the unrewarded running that Richards does too. And it's, it's strange to say that because Lipinski's got an immense tank, you know, and that's the one thing that he was able to do on... Um, on Saturday, despite the tag, he was able to um, be quite a challenge for for debutante uh, Dinny Cleary. So everyone knows Phil Cleary, of course, and uh, so yeah, it, was a, it was a great day for him. So his his son got to debut on the weekend and nice, was given the task of challenge uh, was given the task of tagging uh, Paddy Lipinski. And there's a fair few words I could say, but or I could say, but I'm not allowed to due to a bit of a bit of R-rated stuff, but. Okay. Um, but it was interesting that Lipinski just mentioned these things to him, effectively saying that I'm going to, you know, run you into the ground. And okay. it's nice to have a bit of confidence in that there too. It's, yeah. I still wonder, is, is the one most likely to come in? But okay. I don't think he would regardless. Well, that better do us for, for another week on the on the Salty Ball. Look, you heard it here first from Nick Lear. Probably no yeah, changes. Exclusively from Nick Lear. Like, likely no change. No one coming in from the VFL to the senior side. We'll wait and see, though, if things mm. change, because, of course, things things always change in this day and age. Oh, we've, got to bring in, we've, got to, we've got to bring in a change, of course, for Gardner. But, yeah, in terms of midfield yep. stuff, I wouldn't think so personally. Okay. But neither do I think on a on a key position level either. So it's, it's very strange what might happen. We'll, we'll certainly wait and see. Would he be the one. sub again? Would he be the sub again? Possibly. Watch this space on that one. Uh, you'll be able to check out the news in terms of team selection, who's in and out. Uh, we're following our social media channels. Of course, you can check those out on Twitter at the Salty Bulldog, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. And there's our website as well, www.thesaltybulldog.wixsite.com forward slash home. If you want to listen to any of our other episodes throughout the season, of course, you can check out our podcast, The Salty Bulldog, wherever you get your, your regular podcasts. And remember, if you've seen a bulldog since 2000, wear sleeves, let us know. 
We'll induct them into the Salty Bulldogs Sleeved Hall of Fame. But that's going to do us for this week. I've been Matthew Dalt. I've had Nick Galea with me. Appreciate his input as I do every other week. Also appreciate our listeners wherever you are around the world. We really do thank you for your time. And until next week, take care.